Good morning, church. Well, it's good to see you again. Uh, in fact, it's good to see that you're here. Uh, we, we are running low on some of our attendance, but everywhere I've lived, and I've lived in, I don't know, eight or nine states, not including things like states of depression, confusion, actual geographical land areas, and lived in seven countries. And every holiday, people will say, oh, it's going to be really sparse here because people leave. Where do they go? It's, uh, now, I know where some of that has been answered, actually, today, uh, in that we have over here a rather large section of folk that are from a church that I served uh, years ago back up in Rochester. And, in fact, some of your members here were originally, I, I met them there, I don't ask people to do this very much, but I just want to show you that I did bring my posse with me. Uh, if, if all the Rochester, and Roche, Rochester Church and Rochester College folk would stand over here, just to let them see. Yeah, there you are. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, you, you just might want to treat me nice. So I'm saying. Although a couple of them would join you if you didn't. Uh, that's all right. That's fair. We're going to have a summer, summer series starting uh, next week called One Another. Now, we could do just passages one another, but there are actually so many of those that would run us nearly through the end of the year. We're not going to do it quite that simplistically, but we are going to give everybody who comes a list of the one another passages in Scripture, uh, at least those that will fit on two sides of a paper, just so that you can have them for your own small groups, your own uh, personal study, and that you can see that one another is a continuing theme in our river of faith, in our story. That one another, we're going to come at it in a variety of, of, of ways, and I'm looking forward to that. And then the Bible class, how we got here, is looking not only at the origins of the restoration movement, it won't just be a history lesson, but it will also show you where we went wrong. And I, I believe that it's foolish for human beings of any group to act like they didn't go wrong somewhere. And to talk about how we are correcting ourselves. If you're not familiar with the Churches of Christ, one of the greatest things about it is it's a self-correcting group. We don't have to wait for a bunch of bureaucrats somewhere to make a decision that we're allowed to change something. We're allowed to look at each other and say, let's reason about this again. Let's have a look about this. And because of this, it can, it can change more rapidly than most other groups. And we're going to talk about all of that for the next, uh, really, I think it's, uh, let's see, we have one, two, three, nine weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. You impressed I could count to nine that fast, George. I sure hope it's nine. Um, but as we get together, we need to remember that our church was not formed without conflict and pain and difficulty and families that were distressed. Nothing good comes but by sacrifice. And we do remember those who have lost so many of their, their family members in World War II, Korea, and uh, Grenada, and, and Vietnam, all the way up through our present wars. Uh, we, we remember them, and our heart breaks that at Memorial Day, they will never be able to gather as a whole family again because they sacrificed for us. And every time I come across the bridge down here, and see the sign. I remember that one of our own lost her son due to that, that, uh, this last war. And in fact, Joyce Mount was honored by the governor this last Friday 
she represented all Gold Star families and received the award on behalf of them all, received flowers, and um, I was just, I was very proud for her, and she's very proud. So for all of you who have served, we're grateful, but for all of those who have lost family members, we will not forget you. When you see Joyce, make sure you love on her. I once wrote an article called, called Because of a Dead Man. It was in the very early days of this latest Iraq war, and I was trying to get the point across that regardless of where you stand on war as war, or where, regardless of where you stood upon that particular war, the fact is you and I enjoy freedoms every day, like going to shop or owning a car and owning our own property and doing so many things through the day because of dead people, because they gave their lives either on a battlefield or in arguments over the Declaration of Independence and all that sort of thing. They gave their lives so that we could have freedoms. And I remember talking to some soldiers once that said, uh, we were talking about, there was a big push at the time saying, well, you know, uh, soldiers went to war, America went to the mall, America doesn't understand what we're doing and the like. And the soldiers really surprised me. They said, we don't mind you going to the mall. It says, what we're doing is so you can. Now, I had not thought of it that way. I had thought perhaps we should, and I still think, we should be paying more attention to those that serve. But their, their take on it was very interesting. Because of those who died, we have these freedoms. Now, there's an obvious application here as a Christian. And again, it doesn't matter where you are politically. We're not a pro-war church. We're not an anti-war church. We're not Democrat or Republican. I mean, I'm wearing red, white, and blue, the colors of uh, the British flag. Um, <laughs> we're not trying to make a point like that. What we're saying is we need to acknowledge sacrifice regardless of where you stand on anything. You need to acknowledge sacrifice. Even if your mother makes you a meal that you didn't particularly care for, you need to acknowledge she went through the effort. And my mother's an Irish cook, which means she can't. <laughs> I love her to pieces. There's not a nicer person on the planet that can't cook. But I thank her for every meal that she thawed and <laughs> every potato that she's boiled because she sacrificed. She could have been doing something else. Jesus died, and because of this, we are free. We do what we do because of a dead man who didn't stay dead. And we need to acknowledge that as we look at who we are. We are Christians, saved in the heavenlies, redeemed, adopted because one who died. Our resurrected Savior gave us a cross-shaped community. We have a pointing toward him and a pointing toward each other. And unless we get the vertical and the horizontal both in there, we are not the community that he wants us to be. And we want with all of our heart to be the church that Jesus dreamed about. We want to fulfill his dreams. In fact, whenever Jesus prayed, let thy will be done, it is not... Um, damaging to the language at all to interpret that God may your dreams come true think about that what would it be like to wake up in the morning and think all right God whatever your dreams are for today 
I want to make them true. I want to bring them true. What does it take? And then do it. Early Christians took this very, very seriously, this bit about reaching out to each other as well as reaching to God. Have a look at this passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves, big word that, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Worship was daily. Fellowship was daily. And they freely shared their goods like pilgrims and travelers do. For you see, pilgrims and travelers can't carry much. So they don't accumulate much. They share what they have. And they only carry what they need. The world has a different message. The world's message is get, 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 and build bigger barns to be secure. The scripture says you will be secure as long as you're in this community. For this community will look out for each other. This community will watch over everyone. This was a radical idea then. It's a radical idea now. I don't mean to insult any of our visitors who might be here from other states, particularly one to the immediate south. I came across to go to the University of Alabama in Birmingham, and I was 17 years old. That was a remarkably good fit for a Scottish laddie to come in, right? And they're, and they're and you're looking at me saying, don't you speak English? And I'm going, well, <laughs> perhaps not. Uh, we thought we did. Um, maybe that's what the whole war was about, just a misunderstanding. Um, but anyway, the, uh, we've moved on past the war. I keep quit bringing it up. Um, the, I, I remember I preached this once. I was talking about this once, and this, they were sincere as they could be. Some older members of the church there looked at me and said, are you a communist? And I went, no, I'm just reading this. And they were saying, well, that was just in that time and place. And I said, but you love Acts 2.38. You know, it, it's almost like tattooed on the bodies of everybody you know, down in these churches. What about the rest of it? They got very quiet. It was, this is radical. People, everything Jesus did was radical. Look at this. Men and wor women worshiping together. That was radical. Men and women speaking and singing in the same place. That was radical. Jews and Gentiles calling themselves brothers and sisters. That had unheard of. Crossing all racial lines as if they didn't exist because in God's mind they don't. That was, that was amazing. Class and status, no longer important. You were in a new community now. It's hard for us to get this. So let me just tell a story from history. Most people don't know about the Germanic Wars. Uh, we're not talking about World War I and II. We're talking about the Teutonic Wars, the inner Europe Crusades, where people really just attacked each other over religion and land and such, but used religion as, a, as a, uh, an excuse to slaughter horribly each other. One of the worst, King Conrad III. Wherever he went, 
he just destroyed, absolutely left every stone knocked down. The women just violated and killed. The children killed. The men killed. You get the point. And he came across the city of Weinsberg, December of 1140. Weinsberg sat up on a hill, a cone-shaped hill, and it had big walls. It was harder to take it. But nobody could resist his army, and they knew that. They knew that in a, a, a certain amount of time, he was going to be able to take them, but they resisted him a long time. Finally, he sent an emissary in and said, you know what's going to happen? I'll make an offer. I'll let the women go free. Everybody else dies. They sent out a counteroffer. The ladies said, we, you know, we appreciate that. Will you, the, turning loose the ladies in the middle of winter with nothing, you may as well be killing them. Can they at least take what they can carry on their back? He said, of course. So on December 21st, 1140, the gates of Weinsberg opened and the women came out carrying their husbands and children. We are the people who carry each other. We are the people who, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, no matter how much time, no matter how much money, we're going to carry each other. And we're not a, a, a walled city on a hill. If you're a visitor here and you've never heard of the Church of Christ before, but you just walked by and said, oh, I like the number of columns on the front, let's walk in, we'll carry you because you are made in the image of God. And as we reach up to him, we reach out to each other. That's the shape of the cross, and we want to live that shape. Knowing that the shape of the cross means death, we understand that. We choose to make it life. Because we do this because of a dead man who didn't stay dead. And when he came out of the gates of death, he carried us. That matters to us. We carry each other. The, one of the earliest Christian books was called um, the, the Didache. The Didache, most of you would never heard of it, but it was written before some of our books in the New Testament were. It, it was a, a manual for how to work within churches and Christian attitudes and such. It's a, it's a very, very useful book. One of the lines in it said, Do not hold your hands open for receiving, but closed for giving. Everything we have is temporary. Everything. I remember, walked into my office in Rochester and Michigan years ago, looked about and said, something's different, then realized my guitars were gone. And I thought, oh, the children's church has grabbed them to use them, or somebody else has. But after a while, it became plain they had been stolen. Well, that's not unusual. We used our building all the time, and they still do. It's open all the time. We, we had every self-help group you could have there. You had Al-Anon and Arcanon, and uh, we had a group for compulsive talkers called On and On and On. And um, <laughs> it, it just, it, so people were in and out, and, and I was going, ah, oh, that was a painful day. So I, I shared that with people, and people said, oh, we got, we got to go to the sheriff, we got to do this, we got to do that. And I said, you know, I'm not so sure. And we had some rough people we'd converted, and they said, we're going to go to the pawn shop, so we're going to trace this down. I said, don't. Don't do it. So first of all, it could have been a music critic. You know, they've they heard me, and they have a point. But 
Also, everything I own is just kindling for the end of the world barbecue. It's all temporary. Let it go. Please don't start singing the Frozen song. <laughs> if your kids were in here, I would tell them, in fact, that that CD actually stops working after 28 plays. Sorry. <laughs> Clement of Alexandria put it this way. Did we put that on quotation by any way? We didn't? We didn't? Okay. It says, For he who holds possessions as the gifts of God and knows that he possesses them more for the sake of the brethren than his own and is superior to the possession of them, not the slave of the thing he possesses, and does not carry them about in his soul or bind and circumscribe his life within them, but is ever laboring at some divine work is able with cheerful mind to bear their removal equally with their abundance. If you didn't get that, he means, he says, don't let what you possess possess you. Use them for the glory of God, and if they go away, be as grateful as you were when they came to you. Let it go. Give it away. No wonder an early Christian wrote this on a wall. We do not say great things. We live them. How would you like for that to be on the outside of the building? How would you like that to be what people think of when they think of this church? Many, like I said, who accept Acts 2.38 with joy, look upon Acts 2.42 through 47 with a lot of trepidation. Because that means, wait a minute, are you saying that I can't keep my stuff? I'm saying you can't keep your stuff. We're either going to take it from you when you're dead, or you can share it when you're living but you don't get to keep your stuff. It's not an aberration. We can't say baptism is a command of God normative, but the rest of that's just, you know, have a look. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs and according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You either believe that or you don't. You either believe that God has your best interest in mind or you don't. And by the way, I don't, I know that's simple to say. I know it's not simple to live. I know that. Some of you are already worrying about, where are we going to eat lunch? There are a lot of places. But we still worry, don't we? We still worry about, well, then, then what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? And there are going to be people on television that are going to try to make you feel guilty for having fun at a barbecue tomorrow. They are. They're going to say, no, it's more, you should be remembering dead people. Again, they died so that you could gather with your family in peace. Don't let people do that. Don't let people steal your joy. And know that God wants to increase your joy. But stuff keeps you from having joy. It does. Come on. The more stuff you have, the more you worry. My dad used to, um, I remember I was just a little guy, and somebody came up to him, he said, how many kids do you have? And at that point, we'd, he'd only adopted a certain number, and I was, I was native born, you know. But he said, uh, I've got four. The man goes, well, you're a rich man. And my father's reply was, you know the difference between a man with four million dollars and a man with four children? And he said, what? He said, the man with four children doesn't want another one. Now, I took it personally. I was the last kid born. 
And I'd always assumed it was because he finally got what he wanted, but maybe it was like, well, we can't let that happen again. But he's right. The more money you have, the more you want. The more stuff you have, the more you have to take care of it. The more you have to worry about it. The more you have to worry about thieves coming in and the like. John Wesley was informed as he was on his speaking tour that his house had burned down. And he says, praise God, one less thing to worry about. By the way, we didn't get any quotes from Mrs. Wesley. I'm aware. <laughs> she probably had something to say. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 25. King will say to you on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we go see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And you know what he responds. He says, if you did it to anyone else, you did it to me. This passage troubled me as a boy greatly. One is because Jesus' standard for who got to come into heaven was different than I'd been told. It wasn't, you sang right and took the Lord's Supper right. And I like the way you made elders. And, I, and you didn't dance. That was pretty important to us. Um, and so you can come in. No, it was all about giving and sharing. All about giving and sharing. There was another reason it bothered me. And that is, if he looks at you and says, you get to go in because you did these things, I'm not going to say, no, I didn't. I don't remember doing that. That's what they said. I'm thinking, you idiots, go. <laughs> Just go. I'm not, I'm not going to, when God says, well done, I'm not going to say, you sure? Read that again. <laughs> it's all about the sharing. It's all about the giving. We need to remember we're a cross-shaped group. Look at Luke. Look what God says there. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it'll be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. By the way, a lot of people use this and try to make it give, you know, give the church 50 bucks and God will give you 100. That's, no, it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a spirit of giving. You will all of a sudden start realizing there's a lot of joy and God is giving you in return. Not necessarily dollars but a community. Somebody asked me what my retirement plan was. I said, first of all, don't. Second, if I get to where I can't preach anymore, uh, I hope that I've loved enough people, somebody will feed me. Be in the community. Give it away. I may have told this story before. I know I did in a class, but I'll just do this really fast. My wife likes to try to educate me, poor girl. And because she's American and artistic and normal and all that. But so we went to this, this um, artist home where you're, you're supposed to look at the art and appreciate it. And, and I try. I try so hard. I've learned some of the phrases. You know, look at it and go, oh, light, perspective. And then move. Move before you run out of stuff. 
Don't say things like, oh, he stayed in the lines. That's looked down upon. <laughs> and the, the guy guiding us around, there were only two people in the group that day, my wife and I, and he was kind of panicky because one of them sounded Scottish and he was afraid there's no tip. So, so he was trying to work us into a frenzy uh, as he was going through here. And the, the artist, like most artists, died poor and unappreciated. And, and he said, and you know, this guy's last painting recently sold for I don't know how many millions of dollars, and yet he died penniless. And I tried to stop it. I, as God is my witness, I tried not to say anything, but I don't have really good verbal breakage. And it just, I, I said, good timing. Because it is, spend your last dollar, eat your last donut, see Jesus. That's a plan. Friends, we grasp and we grasp and we grasp and then we pull over their cars because you're in the south. When you see a funeral procession come by, there goes the hearse and there's not a U-Haul attached to it. Everything is redistributed. Why don't you do it now for God? Don't carry it. We are a horizontal fellowship and a vertical fellowship. Remember last week I had you get out Romans and go through it? If you look at Romans 8, you can do this with this subject. I'm sorry, Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 8, share generously. Verse 9, love should be completely sincere. Verse 10, love one another warmly. Be eager to show respect to one another. Wow, how is that not like our world? Be eager to show respect. Verse 13, share your belongings with the needy. Open your home to strangers. That one hits me sometimes. Because as an introvert, that whole idea of let's bring other people in, I'm thinking they might want to talk. <laughs> Open the door. Verse 16, have the same concern for everyone. It's Jew and Gentile, red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, the important, the not important, all of them. It says, do not be proud, but accept the lower duties. Verse 18 through 21, don't live with revenge and power fantasies. Let God take care of those things. We defeat evil by doing good. That's who this community is. That's why we're a one another church. You can look at James chapter 2. We read that one last week when we talked about finding your verb. James chapter 2, the first part of that chapter starts talking about if you don't share what you have, your possessions, you cannot claim that you love God. God gives. He wants his children to give as well. And then 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 says... If the love of God is not in your heart, if you shut your purses when somebody has a need. We find all kinds of reasons to keep them shut anyway. We'll say, well, we're not really sure it's a legitimate need. So Jesus says, throw bread on the water. One of these days it'll come back to you. If you don't know that, it's a fishing thing they did. They'd go to a certain area and throw bread on the water every day at a certain time. Then after a while, you go and instead of throwing bread, you throw a net. All the fish should come for the bread. It looks like you're wasting your food. No, you're planning for the future harvest. So we give. Sometimes people misuse the money we give them. 
But you know, it's only fear. Sometimes we do too. You ever gone to a movie and walked out going, well, that was a waste of money. C.S. Lewis was walking across the quad the university. With him was J.R.R. Tolkien. They were friends, even though Tolkien was kind of hard to get along with. A, a poor man walked up and asked for a handout. Immediately, C.S. Lewis, Jack, as he was known, reached in his pockets, found some coins, which is the, the realm there. You have pound coins and the like, and handed them over. And the man said, ta, thanks, walked away. And Tolkien was very upset. He said, he's just going to spend it on drink and tobacco. After a few more steps, Jack turned to him and said, that's kind of what I was planning to spend it on. So <laughs> don't grasp. Is this radical? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. Because you might love people all your life. And whenever you're in need, they don't love you back. It can happen. It can. And you might starve and be cold after you've been faithful all your life. But you'll get your inheritance. Are you aware that one argument against freeing the slaves years ago was that'll cause social disruption? Turning all these people loose? Well, we can't have that then, can we? No. Sometimes it's worth disrupting the society you've got. Sometimes it needs disrupting. Let's disrupt the society. Let's be the hinge point upon which our society learns to turn. Let's be the people, the very cutting edge of the one another people of God. Let's do dangerous things, like crossing the Red Sea, like picking up a cross, like going into a temple and saying, we're not doing it this way anymore. Let's be the people who do dangerous things like giving away what's in our wallet and opening up our heart as well. Let's be the one another people. For you see, we get freedom when people aren't afraid to die. Think about that. I, I liked watching 24 when it was on before. I'm just now starting to look at it again. I didn't watch it the first couple of years. And then my worship minister came in and just left the first season uh, on DVD on my desk. And I don't really know what happened. But three days later, I'm sitting on my couch in my underwear covered with Cheeto dust going, <laughs> sorry for the visual, but the point. I enjoyed the show, but what bothered me was somebody would have the nuclear codes for weapons that could destroy the planet, and they'd say, I'm not going to give it to you, and they'd put a gun to their head, and they'd say, oh, okay then. And I kept saying to my wife, people want to live too much. People aren't willing to understand freedom doesn't come until you're willing to die. Jesus showed us that. We need to pay attention to it. Well, I've got more I could say. Uh, people from Michigan could yell, Amen. But I think my time's about up. So let me put it to you this way. What would you die for? Here's a clue. You're already dying for something. You are. If you've got a car payment, you have to go to work for those masters every day. 
to pay that. If you've got a house, you have to serve that house every day. You don't get to buy a house and say, right, that's it, we're all done with the house thing. No. It'll break. It'll do stuff. And then here, critters will come in. Never-ending stream. Well, what do you do? You understand we're already dying for something. We're just doing it day by day. So why don't we pick something bigger and be the one another people God called us to be? Sharing our gifts like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 tells us to do. In fact, it says that the only reason you got any gift at all was to share it with the community. The cross that raised up Jesus reminds us of what happens when somebody's willing to die for somebody else. And that man has called us into another community, a one another community called the church. And he called us out as a new nation that lives in this nation or any other nation, as pilgrims and strangers, aliens who swear allegiance to a different king. People like that do not say great things. They live them. 